I, I apologize. I think something's up with our microphone systems. They're not connecting very good. And even I noticed this one is not getting good service. So I apologize if my microphone is cutting in and out. I may have to switch halfway through. Um, but that aside, technical difficulties aside, we're going to be talking this morning about faith in storms of your life. Daniel has been talking for the last whew, a wonderful while on imuna, the Hebrew word for faith. And he's been speaking the last few weeks specifically on things like fear and faith, and fear being the false evidence appearing real, and faith being the full assurance and the true hope of Jesus, and how these uh, can almost be at odds with each other as we either let fear or faith dominate our life. As a Christian, we are called to a high challenge. We are called to place our faith over or above our fears. It's supposed to be greater than them. Fear is not supposed to dominate our lives. God has said, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. So we're called to something greater, but sometimes, if we're honest, fear sneaks up on us. It depresses us. Maybe it immobilizes us, blinds us. Maybe it's the driving force behind our decision-making. Um, but the end result of following fear and allowing fear dominance in our lives is that it renders us ineffective. Fear is something that uh, we all deal with, and it's oftentimes it ends with faith. So there's faith and there's fear. Today we're going to look at a story from Mark chapter 4, so don't jump right there just yet, but we'll get there. And we're going to dive in to that topic. But I wanted to ask this question. Do we, that's you and I, place our faith over our fears, or are the storms in our life dictating what our faith looks like? And I think I'm, a lot of the times, if I'm honest, my fear always finds its way in to dictate a little bit, to have a little influence, a little say, at least a voice in the ear. And when I get really worked up and concerned, it might even be the main force of, my, of driving my decisions. And are we aware of that? What is driving who we are and how we respond? So, you see, a good curriculum, a good teacher, when they put the course together, they give you just an A-plus for showing up, right? How many of you got an A-plus just for going to class? Never, right? Actually, a good curriculum isn't just about showing up. It also has assignments and tests and homework, maybe a final exam, who loved the group project, who felt like they did all of it, or maybe you were the one that never did any of it. See, there's always an application aspect to the learning and the knowledge. It's a balance. It's not just the lecture. You have to go through some work, some assignments to make it real to yourself and to actually incorporate it into who you are so that when you're on the test, you can write down what you've learned. See, tests are a way of actually showing and demonstrating what you've learned and where you're at on that topic. If you don't have a test, if you didn't have a test, do you know what that's called when you go to university and you don't take the tests and you're just there for the lectures? Auditing. When you audit the class, that's your way of just learning but not having any homework or responsibility or problems. And you can just go listen and go home and then come back whenever you want. It doesn't matter if you attend the class. And see, it's not possible to be an effective Christian while auditing the Christian life. You can't be effective as a, as a, as a student 
and audit the class. You need the application, you need the chance to go through the testing. You need to go to the labs, you need to actually put pen to paper a lot of the time, or these days, keyboard to finger. And, and you actually have to make it real. See, part of God's curriculum for us is testing. It's not just an auditing of the class of the Christian life or of this life. There are many storms that we'll go through, and you say, well, that doesn't sound nice of God to test us, but it's what he does. So we're going to take a look at a couple of verses. If you have your swords with you, you can unsheathe them to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Give them a good sharpen. We're going to bounce around, but it'll also be on the screen if you don't have. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. This is uh, Israel is in the wilderness, and they had just left Egypt. They had gone to Mount Sinai, gotten God's covenant, and they started blowing it immediately. They started making bad decisions, sin started, and God had them wandering in the universe, or in the universe, in the desert, which is part of the universe, for many years, 40 years. And this is what he says about it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So God was testing Israel. We're going to flip over to Psalm chapter 66, verses 8 to 12. Flipping on over, get my sticky note. Psalm chapter 66, verses 8 to 10. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praise. Oops, sorry. Wrong, wrong translation. This was an interlinear, so it has like, that's why it's thicker than most, and I was reading the wrong one. My apologies. So it matches the screen. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads, and we went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. So God is testing, actively testing. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So testing, and this is just a few. There's several verses. I actually had to sift through and pick some. But there are, the Bible is filled with this idea that we are being tested by God. It's not just an auditing of life where we learn information, but we go through problems and issues where the rubber meets the road, and God puts us through a testing, and like in what it says in Deuteronomy, to reveal what's in the heart. Like a fire or a finer's fire gives the image of 
heating up the metal so hot that they separate the impurities from the pure metal, and you are able to see how pure it is. It's refining, it's testing to see what's really on the inside. What's our purity? What do we really believe? Do tests make you scary? Scared, sorry? How many people look forward to the t- pop quiz? Or was there was a moment of deep dread and heart palpitation when you saw everyone and you're coming into class with your smile and then the teacher hands you the test and it just fades? Because nobody really likes tests. We think uh, of them as essentially opportunities for failure. It's a lot of the time when we look at tests and trials that we go through. We see it as an opportunity to fail. But that's not really the way that God sees testing. God actually wants us to see testing as an opportunity for doing something important. When you go through a test, it's an opportunity to do something of meaning and to be blessed for doing it. But it can also reveal where your heart and mind are truly at. So as we go through these tests, it's a chance, it's an opportunity to be blessed by God and to do something of meaning. We're going to take a quick look. We're not going to dive into this because it's a deep one, but we're going to take a look at just these verses in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18. This is the story of Abraham and Isaac. You guys are familiar with this one. God has asked Abraham, well, first of all, he promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And Abraham doesn't have any kids, and he's getting older. And so he starts to kind of not be sure about how God is going to make his promise happen to him to become a great nation. How do you have a great nation of your family if you're the last one in your line? It's not really possible. And when you start hitting your 80s and then into your 90s, it starts to look a little more impossible, don't you think? But God puts Abraham to the test. Eventually, Abraham does have a child, and God puts him in this situation where he says, Abraham, I want you to go up this mountain and offer your son as a sacrifice to me. Do you place your son in a higher value than me? And so, and we'll read Genesis chapter 22, 15 to 18. As Abraham was about to uh, uh, kill his son Isaac, the angel came. And so, one more page, sorry. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession to the cities of their enemies, and though your offering, offering all nations on earth will be blessed, and through your offering all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Abraham goes up the mountain. God doesn't have him kill his son. He has him provide, uh, or he provides him a substitution offering, a ram. And he says, because you were willing to go through this, I've tested you, you have shown your faithfulness, I will bless you. And it actually is part of the blessing that you and I experience today. We are blessed by which character that died about 2,020-something years ago? Jesus. And he is the line of Abraham. And so because of Abraham's faithfulness and going through this test, you are blessed. It was an opportunity for blessing, and it was such a major blessing that you and I are experiencing that blessing today as somebody went through that test with flying colors. And so Abraham's an example of God testing somebody and being blessed.
But we're not going to just look at the Old Testament today. Today, we're actually going to focus on this story from Mark chapter 4. It's from the Gospels. And this is a literal storm that happened to the followers of Jesus. Jesus had been teaching his disciples. They'd been walking with him for a long time. He had a small group of about 12. There was many others that were with him. But of this group, it was time to give them the pop quiz. It was time to put them to the test. And so we're going to flip over to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So here's a story of the disciples, followers of Jesus, who've been walking around with him. And Jesus says, okay, time, we're going to go move over to the other side of the lake. And they say, okay, let's go. They hop in the boat. On their way, the storm engulfs them. Jesus is sleeping. And they uh, panic, and they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, do you not care? We're going to die here. And Jesus calms the situation, brings peace to the storm, and he questions them, and he says, where's your faith? There's some observations here. I'm going to look at verse 35. There's a lot in this story. These are just a skim of observations of of, of of a Christian going through the storm. But in verse 35, the disciples were in the will of God and in a storm. You can be doing the will of God And that doesn't mean it's clear sailing across the sea. You are in the will of God and in the storm at the same time. Whose idea was it for them to cross over to the other side? Jesus. So they were in the will of God, and yet they faced a massive storm, a life-threatening one, one they thought they would lose their lives in. So you can be in the will of God and going through a storm right now in your life. In fact, my dad used to say that it's like a fish swimming in the stream. If you're going with the current and everything seems to be going in the same direction, maybe it's because you're going the wrong way. And when you are a Christian, you're swimming against the stream. You're going against the current. And you actually feel that resistance. It's, uh, it's actually a pretty good sign that you're in the right way sometimes if you're going through the storms. Verse 38, the second thing I wanted to point out, that Jesus was sleeping. And he didn't just nod off. I I thought about this. Jesus didn't just, you know, he wasn't just sitting there and then, oh, drip, fell off asleep. We're given a real clue that Jesus was intentionally sleeping. him to relax because he was on a cushion. Jesus had propped up the pillow for him to relax and actually go to sleep. He had intended to go to sleep. He had the pillow and everything ready to go. That wasn't just a quick nod off unintentionally. He became quiet like a teacher does during the test. When you're writing the test, the teacher usually just sits at the front and quietly observes and watches to see how you do going through the test and how you respond. So Jesus is intentionally quiet. 
and he's watching, well, while he's sleeping, <laughs> to see how his disciples will respond. Verse 38, the disciples go to the teacher. This is a good thing. Their problem had reached such a point that they had to go to the teacher to get help on the test. They had reached an end of where their faith was, and they realized, I don't think we're going to make it. And they went to the teacher, which is a great thing. Praise God that he gives us open book tests. He, do you know what an open book test is? An open book test means you have all the questions there, but the teacher allows you to have the textbook with you as well, or maybe a page of notes that you put together, so you can reference and answer the, question, the test as you go. See, God doesn't leave us in the test. He watches quietly to see how we will respond. And when we go to him, he responds. But the storm had revealed something in their life, hadn't it? It had revealed that their faith in what Jesus had said was not quite to the level of what you would think a disciple would have. See, testing and storms strip away all the fluff. When you go through the storm, there's no fluff left on you by the end. It's really, it's like, you know, when you go in, in the rainstorm and you're soaking wet and there's no, uh, your, your clothes are just drenched to your body, it's washed away, everything, it's just stuck to you. It's, it's your core. And it was showing and it revealed that their faith wasn't quite there yet. They were quite fearful. And in verse 39, Jesus responds to their cries and he brings peace to the storm. By drawing near to Jesus and calling upon him, the inward peace that Jesus had that allowed him to sleep during the storm, he was able to apply to the storm around them. And he brought this peace that doesn't make any sense. Have you guys ever heard the verse, God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding? Philippians 4.8, nice, Brian. It's, it, it, it's a peace. When you look at the situation, their boat is about to sink. They're not, they're not in a making this up. It doesn't make sense for them to have a peace in this situation or for Jesus to have a peace in this situation, but he does. And by when they go to him, he's able to bring that peace to the storm and to them. In verse 40, Jesus has them evaluate and bring humility to their situation. He says, why are you afraid? Why do you have no faith? A little harsh. I mean, I, I can envision Peter a little bit. Peter's always given a bad rap, but I can envision him when, God, when Jesus says to him, how do you have no faith? And Peter's like, because we're almost dead, you know? And he's like, that's why I'm panicking. The storm is about to kill us. I imagine that. It's not in there. But there's this idea that the disciples, when you think about it, they had seen many miracles, they had seen many wondrous things. They had seen Jesus transform lives. They were a part of the world's best small group that ever existed. They had the best fellowship group, the 12 disciples with Jesus as the world's best preacher and teacher of all time as their, as their leader, and they're not doing so good in the situation. It brought, a, it, it brought a little humility, I believe, to them to realize where their inadequacy was or where their, where, their, where their holdup was in their life, where they lacked some faith. And you think to yourself, well, isn't he being a little harsh? The storm is there. But do you remember how Jesus started the story? What was, whose idea was it to go to the other side? It was Jesus. 
Did they remember that Jesus said, and did they believe him when he said, let's go to the other side? Jesus had told them they were going to the other side, and they weren't quite sure they would make it. See, in verse 41, he says, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So the disciples afterwards, they get the peace, or the storm is calm, the peace has come, and the wind and the waves have stopped. And they stopped fearing the storm. And what does it say? They were greatly afraid. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so God does not want us to have a fear of circumstances. Instead, he asks us that we are to have a fear of the Lord. Now, that sounds a little scary. I thought you started off, Steve, by saying perfect love casts out all fear, right? It's this balance. Well, the thing is, when you understand, do you have any idea who you're dealing with? He is the author of all creation. He's the author of all physical forces, magnetism, thermodynamics, what keeps the solar system in alignment, your biology, an animal and a plant's biology. He's the author and creator of them all. He is sovereign. He has a complete understanding of reality in all dimensions. And yet, he loves you. See, when you have that perspective of honoring God as the Father for who he really is, as a God that is immeasurably powerful, he's omnipotent, it gives you a reverential awe of the creator of the storm that you're in, rather than focusing on the storm as though it's too powerful. You have no opportunity or chance to overcome it. You're trapped in it. But if you stop fearing the storm and you start to look at the creator who is sovereign over it. It brings perspective to the storm. He doesn't want you to fear the circumstance. He wants you to actually have that fear of him for how great and how powerful he is. And when we get a grasp of how great he really is, it's, hum- it's humbling. It's fearful. You really realize who God is, and it, and it causes a reverential fear that you are in your place and he's in his. But the crazy part is, he loves you. (laughs) And yet he loves you. In fact, he loves you this much, right? He knew who you were before you were born. He knew how many hairs were on your head. He knew when you get up. He knew when you'd go to bed. He knew where you'd go. He knows, uh, one of the verses says, he knows the grains on the seashore. So are his thoughts towards you. How many grains on the the seashore are there? A few? There's a couple just around here, and he knows them, and he not only that, he has more thoughts towards you than those individual grains. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows that I have more than you, just on the front. I'm kidding. He, you are thoroughly and completely known. You are not loved from a distance by a God that is far removed, a God that doesn't interact or help you, the teacher that is silent when you go to them for help, he is a God that got his boots wet. He came down and got his hands in the dirt, and he gave himself. He became human in the form of Jesus, and he gave his life knowing full well that most of the time we would ignore him or not even accept, many people would never accept him, that they would reject him. And ultimately, in Jesus' case, they killed him, right? the ultimate form of rejection, and yet he was willing to do all that, knowing that because he loves you. 
So you have to balance the reverential awe and fear with that combo of seeing, well, in tangible reality, he loves us too. So here's some questions to think about as we think about the storms of our life. Are you focusing on the storm in your life right now? Do you focus on your fears, your doubts, your problems? Or are you focused on his word, his character, who he is? You know, when, you, uh, when you're shooting a gun or an arrow or aiming at anything, you generally hit close to or near what you're aiming at. Where your focus is is where your aim is, which is where the object goes. And many times, and I'm not just saying you, but it's a we, we are focused on our fears and our doubts and our concerns, and we are surprised to see that we end up in those fears and doubts and concerns, and we wallow in them because we aim what we're focused at. You need to focus on his character, his word, and his promises and who he is, and guess what? If you aim towards that, where are you going to end up in that direction, right? You're going to go that way. So it's important to be aware that as you're going through these storms, there's another storm in the Gospels of Peter and Jesus, and Peter's walking on the waves, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. We need to focus on his promises, his character, not the problems. Remember what Jesus said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's stop in the storm and wallow. Don't live in denial, though. There are real problems out there. I'm not going to diminish the fact that there are real storms that feel overwhelming, and there's real storms that feel like they're going to crush you or render you ineffective, paralyze you with fear. But you just need to remember, what did Jesus say? Let's go to the other side. How are you doing in your current storm? I don't want you to feel discouraged as you look at the problem that probably popped in your head when I said your current storm. There might have even been a few that popped in your head. Don't feel discouraged. Remember the disciples? Remember their teacher self? They're part of a small group. They were walking around earth with Jesus, God himself, and they, they still had growth. Do you see your storm as an opportunity for blessing or as an opportunity for just failing? Are you, what are you focusing on? Are you humble enough to admit if you are revealing the issues in your life to go to the teacher? And when you go to the teacher to get that help, you can turn what would have been a curse or something that you had to deal with for a long time into a blessing. Are you humble enough to admit your shortcomings? Go to the teacher. You've got to be honest. Draw near to God. Storms can be a real opportunity for blessing. Abraham probably didn't think when God asked him to go with Isaac up onto the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, that that was an opportunity for blessing. I wouldn't have thought that if he asked me for my, my children, Sophia, Gabriel, Hadassah. I wouldn't be thinking, oh, this is cr- such an opportunity for blessing. But was it? Yes. And in fact, it was such a major blessing that you and I are experiencing that blessing today because that is part of the line of Jesus. That is where the promises were made to Abraham, to Israel, and to his family generation. So don't focus on the storms. doesn't mean they're not there, but you need to remember what Jesus said, who his character is, who God is, get to know him, go to the teacher, and he'll get you 
to the other side. So as the worship team comes up, I'm just going to pray for us, and uh, I'm just going to have a moment while we're praying, and just as you're thinking about that storm that came in your mind or the problem that you're facing, take a moment in this prayer, and we'll, we'll, we'll give it over to God. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are with us. You're not far removed from us. You're not a bad teacher and testing us on things that we have no hope of getting through. But it says that you are with us, that you love us. And I just ask that as we think about those storms and the problems that we're facing right now, the overwhelming waves, that we would just take this moment to ask you and invite you to take them from us, to work on them, to change us from the inside, to flip our heads focused to you and away from the storm, that we would look to you. Father, I thank you for the storms in my life, that they would reveal the things where I'm short, the things that I'm missing, the things that are issues in my lives, that they would reveal it. Lord, help me to be humble and to admit those, to deal with them, to invite you to help me to deal with them. And Lord, that you would adjust my gaze from them to you, that we would look to you through the storm, that we would hold to your promises, that you would not overwhelm us, that your burden is light. And we would see this as an opportunity for blessing as we go through these challenges, that as we radiate Jesus in those situations, when we get squeezed, that Jesus would come out, and that the blessing in our lives and in those that encounter us would be there. So God, we just ask you and invite you to work, and we thank you that you are a good God that won't ignore that cry, that you will respond and you will bring peace to the storm. And Father, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>